This is Rating Descending. Where we watch IMDb's worst 250 so you don't have to. I'm Michelle St. Clair. I'm Abigail Ward. And this week we watched Home Alone 3. Alex Pruitt, an eight-year-old boy living in Chicago, must fend off international spies who seek a top-secret computer chip in his toy car. Let's watch. Pruitt. That's his last name. What a weird last name. Yeah. I was thinking about these screenwriters that are choosing surnames, like, inanely, because it doesn't matter to the story, and I'm like, how do they choose them? Yeah, I hate choosing names. I hate choosing. Yeah. And... Decisions are terrible. I hate names. (laughs) Why do we need labels, you know? Uh, I mean, labels are good. Labels are excellent, because then we know that that thing is that thing. No. Good I'm anti-label, which is why I'm (laughs) anti-name. Right? You just you, no one has a name. I've said this many times. I just want us to get to a point in society where we're all floating orbs of energy that don't refer to each other at all, how or I, even acknowledge each other. We just zoom around. How would I refer to a specific one of your friends? I wouldn't have friends. What? Neither would you. Why? You're just happy being yourself. I you're like self-sufficient. You're a little energy ball. Yeah, but I don't think you're understanding this world. Humanity's like sharing. Currently, like, it is. We like sharing. My things. future, my utopian future is all a me-first attitude. The me in question is a little ball of light and energy. Well, you're going to find me as a ball of light rallying other people, you know, and we're doing that thing where, like, one of us wears a beret, like, we're clearly taking the accoutrement of rebellions from the 20th century. You're all beatnik poets as well. Exactly. For sure. Um, You're bohemians, bohemians, but you're also activists, so you're the worst. (laughs) Um, And we're going to, in the most, like, awful dialogue ever, try, like, fight against your system, saying, like, humanity's all, like, free love. But the way that you guys speak, because your little balls of energy and light is like me and everyone's like this is this is like an aldous huxley book (laughs) i think i read this one (laughs) when they all rally around you they're all zooming around in circles to concur (laughs) and i'm there the big ball of light and energy that's created this utopian with heavy quotation marks future and i'm brooding and my colors are changing i'm going red i'm going dark i'm going smoky the first full half of this book is just explaining the world it's just (laughs) explanation front to back and then the second half is like a short story that's not very interesting yeah yeah which not to jump ahead (laughs) is definitely similar to the film that we've done tonight it's one of the notes i wrote (laughs) it's pretty good but yeah i just want us to move past needing physical bodies and having to have friends and relationships you know i agree with you on physical uh having physical bodies is sometimes frustrating because i don't like it being oh am i sad and having an existential crisis because i don't know my place in the world and i feel like i'm just an infinitesimally small speck or am i hungry and need a banana (laughs) it's usually the latter i know and i hate that's that's fucked up you said to me a couple weeks ago and i keep thinking about it every time i feel a certain way is that like you said when you're tired you think everyone hates you and yeah. when you're hungry, you hate everyone. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> it, it is. It's true. Sometimes I'm like, I get so deeply, painfully sad. And then I look at the time and I'm like, it's 1130. I'm probably just tired. Like, I'll feel better in the morning. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so true. I think 
every time I've exhausted myself, I then go into this mental space of everyone hates me and I'm awful at what I do and everything's overwhelming and I'm just the worst. But that's, that's fucked up. Like you think fucking casserole before going to sleep is like, everybody hates me. I'm having an existential crisis. Casserole doesn't have a thought in her head at all times. (laughs) Ever. Yeah. She just merely exists. She's so happy with herself. It's like, sure, we get the brain that can produce art and poetry and wonderful humanity-based things, but also, like, that's, I don't know, that's a harsh trade-off. Going back to my ball of energy and light (laughs) vision for us as a race. Back to the Huxley book. I think, like, you'd also be able to manage your feelings and emotions more. Like, that, like if you're just, like, a ball of energy and light, really, mm. you're just there to, to process, not to feel. You don't have anything that's going on in your life that would cause you to feel anything. You are just rational thoughts and reason. This sounds like Elon Musk's dream. And thus, <laughs> single? I must spend my life trying to destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the day that you realize that you can't let me continue in the world. For I shall bring rough and ruin no it, during this conversation i have a moment where i go Ooh, and i like <laughs> what happens is that i've actually traveled back in time like from 30 years in the future and so in this moment i've just come back so s- moving forward i'm just suddenly embedded with the knowledge and consciousness of 30 years of you becoming a global dictator no, and i'm no. like this is the moment i could stop it no yeah you come you realize that you're a soldier waiting to kill me. You've remembered that oh. you're from the future. <laughs> and you've been sent back in time. And it is your mission. It is your quest to kill me. <laughs> you're like, oh, you see the next 30 years it's going to unfold. And you realize as you sit across the table that within the space of two weeks, it's your mission to kill me. <laughs> Wait, is this in a I'm the Terminator or I'm Sarah Connor? Like, which am I in this? Because I feel like I'm trying to say you're going to end the world. But I guess that would mean from your perspective, I'm the Terminator yes. Back to kill <laughs> yes, you. you are. Right. <laughs> you're the Terminator. And no, I'm John Connor. To you, I'm the Terminator. <laughs> to everyone else, you're Skynet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. That's, no. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> It's like that meme of, like, how do you know... I feel like I don't see it as as expressed anymore, but it always used to be, like, accompanied by images of the Joker from The Dark Knight with, like, what if you're the only one who's sane and it's everyone else that's crazy, huh? It's like that, but you think everyone else in the the world is a villain. Yeah. I mean, that's already my state of mind. That's... (laughs) I'm the hero and everyone's working against me. Maybe I'm just tired. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're just tired. And we have a nap. (laughs) I haven't slept in four days. All right. It's been six and a half hours and we're resuming this podcast. Abby's had a nap. It's great. (laughs) I feel amazing. I feel incredible. I love how to express your amazement. Listeners, you should see Abby's arm movements. (laughs) They're big and enormous to reflect the level of my happiness. I would would describe Abby's normal arms as dead armed while recording <laughs> but this true, but you didn't this is active <laughs> wow <laughs> i'm now an active participant yeah like going back to my ball of energy oh my and light God. scenario Speak. we wouldn't have to worry about dead arms <laughs> or tiredness at all speaking of wishing i had no worries this week we watched home alone 3 you've watched home alone more than i have I love Home Alone. I have seen Home Alone 1 once as an adult when you showed it to me. And I thought it was pretty good. I love it. Uh, And I never saw 
Donald Trump's uh, greatest contribution to humanity, Home Alone 2. Yeah. Home Alone 2 is not as good, but still a decent time. Well, really, the presence of Trump could do that by itself. It's like Home Alone 2 is just basically like the first one home alone one he is left at home by his parents they all go to france and he has heaps of brothers and sisters and cousins that are over so he gets like lost they go they get to france and they realize they've left kevin behind yeah number two is about kevin and his family going to new york and him getting left behind in new york well that's that's why it's lost in new york exactly yeah and um they're both kind of like the first one is just like the first one is the best but the second one has some really nice moments in it too yeah the third one i remember i watched as a kid oh really and i felt devastated because <laughs> it was a new kid yeah and i remember again children can be far more discerning than we think and i remember mm. as a kid i was like six or seven watching it and i was like wow this is a notable drop in quality guys <laughs> <laughs> come on like and it's really hard because they recast yeah and i think no one liked the new kid no like sorry but it's hard to live up to macaulay culkin and he's and not like as little, charming anyway he's not as charming he's not as funny and i was thinking like it's a tough fucking order to follow mm. like macaulay culkin sorry it's a tough act to follow macaulay culkin is like notably like the charm of him is that he's like an adult but he's a kid he's he's one of the best child stars we've had there's like him, Shirley Temple. It's his dry delivery. And the Stranger Things kids. Yeah. But that's my top three. And it's the jokes that were written for him in the first two films that made mm. him so likable. Oh, but- he, he's like a little, like, adult, but as a boy. And they, there's heaps of scenes in the first two films that reflect that. So you're, like, giggling along because he's trying to be a big man, but really he's a small kid. He had that in Uncle Buck, too. I loved but Uncle Buck. What I think worked about that is that that feels more true to how little kids act. Yes. It's just that parents baby them. Yeah. So him being like, no, I'm a person made it feel so much more truthful and because he's home alone he's like yeah i'm a big man now i'm an adult i'm gonna go buy groceries but they're gonna go they're gonna fall out of my grocery bags because they're too heavy and i'm gonna try and shave my face but the aftershave stings my cheeks and i scream like yeah i'm gonna watch old movies but i'm gonna eat ice cream all night because i'm an adult and i can do that now it's just so charming this film had none of that this film (laughs) is not in the same realm as home alone it doesn't deserve to carry the title of home alone it it really doesn't. It is entirely charmless. <laughs> and <laughs> I think Home Alone is like perfect Christmas like viewing. I mm. still watch it. I try to still watch it every Christmas. Yeah. It's a good time. It is a good time. I mean, I, I think I wrote down in my notes somewhere that this Yeah, it is one of the pieces of trivia I have that like this is the only Home Alone where it isn't set at Christmas. Yeah. Early on in the movie the main villain mentions that it's January eighth. So it's just a time of year yeah it's, it's not, not christmas it's, it's just a winter film <laughs> yeah it's just it is cold in chicago <laughs> that's the connection to the home connection alone one and two he's a child that is home alone at some points in the same city in, around the same in time chicago while it's cold yeah. <laughs> the whole time i was watching this film or re-watching it i was just thinking like what's kevin doing right now yeah like I want to see his story again. Where's Kevin? I'm sure he's just leading a normal life, you know. I mean, he would have been like a teenager at this point, right? So I think the first nineteen. I think the first Home Alone was like 1993. No, it was like 1990. Oh, okay. So that would have been eight years on. So he probably would have been in high school, yeah, smoking weed or or not. Maybe a good boy. Maybe since he's in like that John Hughes world, maybe he would have done that thing that was in 80s sitcoms where he smoked weed and then he looked at our protagonist and then went, you want some man? And then (laughs) like holds it in a way that no one actually holds a joint. (laughs) Hey, want some of a doobie, bro? So he's the side character in a different John Hughes. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) What I think John Hughes could have done with is a a, a universe. 
Yes. You know? I mean, I think he had that. John Hughes films have such a keen, like, feel and vibe to them. Yes. And this film didn't have that, but I could. it, it almost did. It mm. had all the pieces of that. It just didn't have, like, the heart and the warmth that you'd usually yeah. get out of a John Hughes no, film. No, it was definitely derivative. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Uncle Buck and, like, Pretty in Pink. I really and, like, liked Uncle Buck I when you showed Uncle it to Buck. me. Planes, really trains, and it. automobiles. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, because he's so Chicago-obsessed, you really can't imagine that all these people are neighbours. Chicago! Hey! The Windy City! Ah, Chicago! Deep dish! Ah, fuck out of that! I'm eating here! Ah, deep dish pizza, huh? Ah, Chicago Bulls! Michael Jordan! Yeah, I love America. (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) I, um. Sorry, I just. Blanked there for a second. You've never seen an impression so good. Never. I've never fully understood. I've been to Chicago and that was like revisiting it all over again. Yeah. <laughs> what was more Chicago, me or Home Alone 3? Do you want to give us the overview? <laughs> Carefully dodging the question. Yeah, I'll give you the overview. <laughs> In Hong Kong, four internationally wanted spies working for a North Korean terrorist organization steal a $10 million microchip, putting it inside of a remote-controlled car to sneak it past security at the San Francisco International Airport. Eight-year-old Alex Pruitt is given the remote control car by Hess for shoveling her driveway. He returns home and discovers that he has chicken pox and must stay out of school. The next day, whilst home alone... Alex discovers the spies while spying on his neighbours. After two failed attempts at reporting them, Alex attaches a camera to the remote control car and uses it to spy on them, leading to the spies chasing it when they spot it. Wondering what they want with their toy car, Alex opens it and discovers the stolen chip, informing the Air Force of its presence. The spies finally realise that Alex has been watching them and decide to break into his house. Alex rigs the house with booby traps and with help from his pet rat and his brother's loudmouth parrot, Uh, The four spies break in, spring the traps, and suffer various injuries. While they pursue Alex around the house, he flees and rescues Hess, but the head spy, Mr. Borpa, ambushes Alex, but the latter uses a bubble gun resembling a Glock to scare him off. Soon the FBI agents arrive and arrest the four spies. Later, the Pruitts, the FBI agent, and Hess celebrate with the father returning home from a business trip while Alex's house is being repaired. Yeah, what really struck me about this one, when I think of Home Alone, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're two small-town burglars, uh, and he's trying to fight them off. And then this one begins, and there's international spies stealing a North Korean missile chip. It's fucking nuts. (laughs) The Home Alones are, like, low-scale villains. Yes. (laughs) And it's very funny and friendly and warm and family-friendly. Yeah, this was just preposterous. This really escalated the tension. But, and yet, it de-escalated the tension in the process. Because you could never really believe these people were that threatening. Yeah. But yeah, it starts off and it's like, the, it's such a like, sinister first 10 minutes setting up these like yeah. international spies stealing a microchip losing it at the airport and then we cut to like little alex yeah. and his little chicago home it and wasn't he's every american boy it wasn't played like a kid's movie the first five minutes are played like it's the beginning of die hard yeah like you know? it's die hard four yeah yeah it's yeah the tone is all over the place it's it, it was such a bonkers opening and it really didn't match the rest of it and as you said like because they're meant to be international spies, the FBI agent at the end mentions that 
the head guy, Mr. Borper, has been on the run for nine years. I'm like, I refuse to believe that they fall into some of these traps. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) That this child is outwitting them. (laughs) Also, like, my whole thoughts about the structure of this film is that, as I mentioned earlier, it really feels like the first half of the film is setting up the spies, them being in Alex's life, Alex Mm. finding out about them, not being sure what to do, trying to get people to believe him, no one believing him. And then the last, like the second half of the film is him being like, okay, this is my home. And the rest of the film is him setting traps and defending it like the first two two films. Yeah. It came too late. Way too late. The gimmick came too late. Like we enjoy watching him like deflect the robbers, but like they don't interact for the first half of the film at all. The first half is bad rear window. Yeah. And like- when it was the first day where he spots them, I'm like, oh, and then the day just like ends and the parents come home. I'm like, yeah. wait, is this yeah. it? Is this going to be the format? It's yeah. going to be just several days because of him observing. He's home alone for one afternoon. That's it. Well, he's he's home alone for three days. He's home alone the, the first afternoon and then the second day. Yeah, but his mom's always back. Yeah, his mom's like always back. Yeah, she comes back and she's like, oh, you, you, I don't believe you didn't see anything. But the actual instance where they're trying to get into the house... And he's home alone is one afternoon. Yeah, it's like two hours tops. The whole premise of the first two films is that he's alone for multiple days at a time trying to be a, a, a man, trying yeah. to grow up. In this, he has chicken pox and that's the framing device for why he's home alone. But it means that there's constant adult supervision. Yeah. Um, I didn't come to home alone for adult supervision, boy. This fucking film was 1998, <laughs> right? Seven. 1997. I'm pretty sure it was 97. America in the 90s is just, like, such a particular time. Yeah. It still had, like, the 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 innocence of the 80s in a lot of way, ways, which is weird, because when I think about it, 80s and 90s feel like... They feel like they were also the most, like, violent and dangerous decades within America, just mm. in terms of crime rates and statistics. Yeah. But also that it kept churning out this wholesome family content. Yeah. Mainly spurred on by John Hughes a lot of the time as well. Yeah. But, like, it was, like, this, like innocent age just before the dawn of technology i guess where everyone was wearing big knitted sweaters and it was all it always looked chilly and everyone was always thinking about what they were going to do after high school like yeah at, at that point 14 year olds were you know playing in the streets instead of going do i join the nazis or do i fight them you know it's it's really a shift <laughs> in culture over time <laughs> Also, I wasn't expecting this to be a secret Scarlett Johansson movie. Yeah. Her as a teenager. What the fuck? She plays this older sister. And I didn't recognize her in the first shot when she was, like, doing her homework. Mm. And then the second time I saw her, I was like, what the fuck? It's her first major film role. No way. Yeah. This is, like, yeah, 1997. God. She sticks out like a sore thumb when the rest of the cast is there. In part because we recognize her. I acknowledge that. But just also in just screen presence, even, Mm. like, everyone else is like, you look like anyone. You know, I was reading the other day that Scarlett Johansson, in, like, 2018 and 2019, was, like, the highest paid actress of, like, in in all of America. Mm. No, in the entire world. And, like, apparently she's, like, listed ninth as, like, the best paid actress ever. Yeah. Ever. She's made, like, $15 billion in profits or something. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, it's, it's... It's always one of those things, like, the way that they track that is sometimes odd. Like, she is well paid, but I remember there was a year where technically the highest grossing actor of the year was Ken Jeong, and that was because he was in The Hangover and Transformers 3. 
He yeah. was in each of them for yeah. less than five minutes total, but That's he was amazing. he was technically the highest grossing actor of the year. True, but she's just been it's so not... many. I wouldn't doubt this though. At the same yeah. time, I think Scarlett Johansson is like one of the most successful and well-known actresses from America ever. Well, especially since you know, famously, she's not limited to just roles of white women. <laughs> That's a different discussion. She, she takes whatever day. she can get. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, she was a she was a nice she was the only familiar face in this very lackluster cast. Yeah. <laughs> Except there was also Neil Flynn. Yeah. He was there for a moment. Yeah. As one of the cops who, in my opinion, came to kill. Because they show up to an old woman's house. They've heard that there is a burglar on the premise. They're like, to kill. oh, there's a burglar. What do we do? And they fucking, there's like eight of them come and they fucking kick down the door. And I don't mean like, a, I mean like they, it comes off its hinges yeah. and they're fully ready to shoot and kill. Like, and they were very prepared. Well, so this little Alex is his name, right? Alex. He wants to be a cop. Like, that's cute. But like, how can I relate to a character that just wants to be like, he wants to be a pig? You know, a cab. Alex, read the room. <laughs> read the room, Alex Pruitt. 20, Twenty-four years on, read the room. <laughs> well, hey, it was still an issue in the nineties too. True. It's just that now we're, you know, white people care too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the difference. I keep seeing people like pulling up, especially black comedians, like sketches of them referring to cops shooting them, and they're like, "Huh, it was a thing in the nineties too." And it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, I thought <laughs> it was so wild. Like, this movie is filled with a lot of things where it'll be, like, played fully straight. Like I said, it, it the beginning plays like an action movie. Mm. They're being really genuine with it, like it's any other movie. And then the cops will shop and then burst down a door and then they'll see a dog and then it'll, something will go, boy, oi, 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 oi. Yeah. <laughs> it's Die Hard meets any family film from the 90s really i don't even want to say home alone because it didn't do a good enough job for me to actually list that as a reference barely home alone (laughs) it was a 20 minute short of home alone with a one hour build up of bad rear window yes (laughs) so this new family friendly film we're coming out with kids film rear window meets die hard what actually what would have improved it is if instead of having the chicken pox he was in a wheelchair and we see him constantly wheeling around everywhere the simpsons did that so yeah Yeah. and it worked to treat that's one of the better episodes i always think about that shot where they're like oh look he's watching and it's bart at the window with that (laughs) telescope watching from his wheelchair and he just drops the blinds in his room that's how i felt for the entirety of lockdown (laughs) looking Mm. out my window what Seeing were you looking at out faces. the window? Remember how there was that DJ guy across oh, the window yeah. across the street that would play? And some people would like mill around on the street to listen to it. I would just sit at the window and watch and listen and then eventually just drop the blinds. I distinctly remember the time that the DJ was there. I can't remember what you were doing, but Brooke and I were home. We were playing Street Fighter 2 on, on the semi-working pie station. And I told you that the guy was out there. Yeah. yeah. And then we went and we sat out on the chairs for a little while. Mm just on the front porch thing and listen to it. It was great. That was the way that you could, that was the only way you could hang out. It's a really unifying moment. Six months ago. Yeah. No, it was really nice. It's it a really nice memory. Um, and then Humans I it's changed so quickly, by the way, we yeah. adapt so quickly Yeah. because like six months ago we were deep in lockdown, Yeah. like deep into it. And we'd been there for a couple of weeks and life felt grim. Yeah. Now, six months later we're out of it and it's been a bumpy road out of it, but I've already forgotten what lockdown was like. 
I have forgotten what it's like to have to wear a mask all day. Mm-hmm. I think that like, humans are in general, we're very adaptable. That's our problem. We don't remember our mistakes. I feel like part of it though, you still work at home mm. and you were working the whole time. Whereas yeah. both Brooke and I went through large periods of not really working last yeah. year. And so there was just this sense of like, I don't know, you you couldn't get up and be like, I'm going to look for jobs or I'm going to get up and go here and do something. You yeah. just get up and you go, now what? Yeah, that's true. I right? was very busy throughout lockdown. I was so lucky. Yeah, I just had nothing to do. I was just like desperately trying to get anyone to give me work, but they were like, there's no work to give. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know what else is crazy? What? Tell me. <laughs> well, the thing that for me was the most notable part of this movie is that Alex Pruitt is fucking strong. He is a strong little boy. We see him, like, when he's setting up the traps, right, he is, like, he's 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 taking, like, the pool stairs, he's wrenching them off, and, like, he's giving it fucking torque, right? He's really wrenching at it. We see some of the traps he's constructed inv- involve moving huge floorboards made of yeah. solid timber yeah. and, like unnailing things as well as yeah lifting all these heavy objects at one point we see one of the robbers is trying to come after him and he closes a door it looks to us as if he's just closing it quickly not like slamming it and the guy goes flying back yeah I'm like this little boy managed to make this full-grown man go flying back he this is a secret origin story true I will say his traps were never as inventive as Kevin's and no. also in the original film Kevin's like his traps would cause other issues later. Mm. So like even in this there was, there was a tiny bit of like cause and effect where like he was like his feet were stuck in cement pots. Like a lot of the time the robbers would get hurt and then they'd just get back up and they're back they're, they're fine. They're yeah. normal. Whereas in the first one, he would like set a trap and then that trap would cause the person to go into the next trap or then it would yeah. cause them to fail at something they need to do. Like it was just it was really clever the way that Kevin's traps would work. Yeah. In this one, they were all inane. Well, but that's the thing, is that Kevin, his superpower is that he's a genius. Alex is super strength. Yes. <laughs> he could brute force it. For example, by doing things like dropping several full terracotta pots from two stories high onto the woman's head. She's dead, right? Like, she... I thought she died. So, you know what she... She had like, to gets, have. She, she gets into that puddle. She, like, jumps... She gets through a gate. Yeah. And she suddenly stuck her legs are stuck in this thick muddy puddle uh-huh. and then she can't get them out and she looks up and a terracotta pot hits her on the head uh-huh. and she f- slumps forwards and her face hits the mud and i was like she's gonna drown well yeah she's passed out face first in a fucking puddle of mud and it's not a small pot too it's like a full-size pot which again that would cave her skull in like, and then she gone. falls face forward she's dead she's out <laughs> alex pruitt is a murderer <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the name of the Netflix spinoff that I'm doing Ah. coming out next year. Do you feel like Netflix now keeps coming out with these like very eye-catching names like that? Yes. Where it's like Jason Tucker must die, which granted that was 20 years ago, but that was innovative and that was heralding in this new (laughs) era of having names like I'm not okay with this. Yeah. And why are you like this? And please like me. All these shows have started coming out with these like very like long 
yeah questions as well, names it's because they're trying to make you go like oh i like netflix because there's this cool brand new engaging content yeah. and then you know there's no need to make a season two because there's another one there's yeah. just another one they could make yeah you know and then they can go like well this one was made 30 years ago and we didn't make it but it's new to netflix mm. wow so, yeah, i'll say alex pruitt is a fucking murderer that's my new netflix <laughs> show coming out next year make sure to stay tuned well actually that makes sense because you that's probably why he wanted to become a cop. <gasps> Full circle, baby. This Hell is actually yeah. quite a smart little look into the psychopathic <laughs> tendencies that young men adapt because they think they're right. You know, he watched the way the cops broke into that house after he first reported. On the streets it, of Chicago. On the streets of Chicago. And that's how he is now. It's affected him. It's not right, but it is a realistic look into how men are raised these days. And I'll, I appreciated it. 10 out of 10. I will narrate it. I'll be like, hey, on the streets of Chicago. Huh? <laughs> yeah, deep dish. Deep dish. Wind. And strong little boys. <laughs> strong little boys. <laughs> he is a strong little boy. <laughs> Who is this narrator? I need to arrest him. <laughs> like a cab, but also, you know, do a job. You can't catch me. He's always narrating it live. <laughs> <laughs> On the streets of Chicago. <laughs> On the str- streets of Chicago. Wow! Hey, hey, get out! <laughs> I went to Chicago when I was 16, 15. And I went to all of the places that The Untouchables was filmed. Oh. The train station, the cafe that blows up at the beginning. Spoilers. Um, I, and I also, I saw a baseball game at Wrigley Field. Incredible. Mm-hmm. I got deep dish from the best deep dish place in town. I went to see all the comedy sports up on the north side. Wow. Where, like people from like Whose Line Is Anyway got their start. Yeah, like Second City. And then Mike I went Nichols. up to Glencoe, which is where all the John Hughes films were filmed. And they're all those huge white mansions full of very pretty white people <sighs> with tiny little coffee shops and a train that heads into the city because it's like an hour out. The- where they, they punch holes into your tickets. There's oh, a man that walks wow. down with a little cap and he'll punch your ticket. And I looked at it and I looked at my ticket and I was like, this is gibberish. Does he this ask- is nonsense. Does I don't he- think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Does he ask if anyone wants a hot a hot, hot chocolate hot, hot chocolate <laughs> and then he and several of his friends dance around but it, it you you can't quite tell why yet because you're still a child it really upsets you <laughs> i know every line to that song it's crazy oh 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 we got it hot hot yes we got it hot hot yes we've got it that, uh, <laughs> hot chocolate that scene as a kid upset me and as an adult disturbs me I, the Polar Express is also an annual film I'll watch for Christmas, and it doesn't make sense. There's parts of it that I'm like, this is charming. Like, the scene where he starts to hear the bells. I can hear it. It's genuinely really sweet. It. Yeah. A hot chocolate with this little boy dressed like he's 60 years it's old. It's so fun. It's terrifying. It's so fun. It sends a chill to my core. <laughs> I always freaked out at the scene on top of the train where he meets another Tom Hanks, because yes. the film is full of the, Tom the Hanks. Tom- they are all Tom Hanks. The Tom Hanks. Yeah. They're, and like he's on top of the train with the with the homeless Tom Hanks who's like making coffee out of a pot. Oh, the one that's secretly Santa or yeah. whatever? Yeah. And he's like, seeing is believing. And then he jumps off the train. It's wild. It was yeah. a lot for me. I couldn't that's process crazy. it as a kid. If it was Alex Pruitt, he would have been pushed. <laughs> <laughs> Also, just by the way, really yeah. quickly, at the end of Polar Express, the best and worst bit of that whole film is that Josh Groban <laughs> sang the song for the end, and it, was, it went, and I still remember the song, <laughs> believe in what your heart is saying, hear the melody that's playing, and I remember when I was like eight, that song captured me, and I would put it on, I'd stare forlornly out my window to it, it was 
a bit fucked. Polar Express was the darkest phase of my life. The only reason I don't outright hate Josh Groban is because he was in one episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Wait. was genuinely pretty he fun. Was, he was it was very funny. Yeah, he was. And I'm like, all right, he has a sense of humor. Yeah. All right, that's fun. But yeah, these... Polar Express over Home Alone 3 any day, though. <laughs> any day. Any... Well, yeah, that's It's fair. unquestionable. But these... Just to get back before we move on, like some of these traps, like I said, the terracotta putt is deadly. There's also another point where... Do you remember the bit he falls? The one who looks like he skis in the Alps and is really snippy about it? Mm. Yeah, okay, cool. He falls over, and then, like, it turns out that there's actually, like, a hole in the floor or something, and suddenly it feels like we're transported into a completely unbuilt part of the house, and he slams through what looks like four to six floors. (laughs) Of just plain pine wood rooms. I, uh, what's happening? <laughs> it's like he falls into a hell dimension. Mm. This house is two stories high. The and house he... has a dumb waiter, by the way. <laughs> it does. They literally, there's a bit where like he's running up to the top of the house and he gets into a dumb waiter and he takes it to the bottom. And by yeah. the way, later, the woman who we thought had died in that puddle of uh-huh. mud, who miraculously re- just was summoned back to life. Yeah. And we don't see how she's suddenly just on her feet again. Yeah. Her name's Alice Ribbons. Great name. She, like the character is, and she, I don't know why they gave them full names, but Alice Ribbons is fun. Who knows? She finds the dumbwaiter in the top of the attic. And she's like, I'm going to get you. And she opens the door and she just puts herself <laughs> into it and floor, falls all the way to the bottom, not understanding. No thoughts in her she, head. I'm pretty sure we saw her look down into it and went, yep, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's and for she me. Just fall- Later when we see her, her legs are mangled and twisted. Yeah. Like she, her, she's paraplegic. But also dead. Yeah. Like, she's fully dead. There's also that bit where, like, the longer-haired rubber, like, mm-hmm. he's got, like, the long brown hair. Yeah. And he looks kind of, like, goofy. He's, he looks he's, like, like he's in a comedy rock band. He looks, yeah, and he looks like he's a more attractive version of Kramer if Kramer also played bass for some jazz oh, fusion band in New York okay. City. Yeah. Um, whoever he is. <laughs> he... Um, there's a bit where, like, he's, like, covered in this, like, white paint and powder. It got up his nose. He almost, like, suffocated. Yeah. And he gets down to the basement. His feet are stuck in, like, little tubs of cement, so he can't even move. And then he falls onto his butt, and basically the pipes above him, he shoots a pipe above him, and shit, liquid shit just falls all over his head. Fully liquid shit falls. That, for me, was where the film got out of hand. (laughs) It was the liquid shit. Well, for for me, it was the the wooden hell dimension. Again, (laughs) it's two stories with a basement, and we see him slam through at least five floors. He's actually broken through a portal where he's just slamming into never-ending wooden floors. All of them look identical. If you tell me Alex Pruitt summoned a repetitive portal, Mm. like a recursive portal, I would believe you. See, I actually, for some reason, can't remember when this wooden floor dimension occurred for you. But I'm, the sounds that I'm hearing in my head as I'm, I'm imagining the ski man falling through these floors mm. is the sound that is made when in Croc, Legend of the Gobos, little Croc oh with his little backpack gets on top of a wooden crate and he goes, whoopee! And he like jumps into the air and he slams it and it goes, Pow! Ah. That's how I hear it. I didn't... Croc had good noises. Didn't make that noise very well. But if you've played Croc, guys... If you're listening and you loved Croc, Legend of the Gobos, which you now realize is a slightly strange name, it almost sounds like a euphemism. I mean, it definitely is or, a euphemism Or Croc now. 2, which didn't have a subtitle, but yeah. I liked it. If you remember that noise, email us at <laughs> ratingdescending at gmail.com to rate my impression. Well, I also liked all the Crash Bandicoot ones. Like, wow! That's always a good one. Yeah. Every time he gets a wumper fruit, yeah. instead of it being like, bing, it's... Oh, oh, oh. And there was also... um. 
Yeah, Croc would just be like, wowee! Yeah, that's a good Whoop-a! one. Whoop-a! And then the little crystals would be like, hoink, 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 hoink. I can't yeah, do it. These and then are the good. little gobos would be like, yeah, this is good shit. I also remember in Zelda, every time he would like attack, he's like, big <laughs> 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 <These little> noises. <laughs> if I heard like the the sound of a crystal being picked up in Croc, just in everyday life, if I heard that, I'd just be like transported back to being like six years old playing on my fucking PC. Mm. It's very evocative. See, I always played Sonic more than anything. We were a Sonic Sony household, so every time someone refers to Nintendo properties, I'm like, there's one out of ten I'll get. Yeah. But Sonic was fucking so good when it came to noises. The Mega Drive sound chip was so fucking good. Fuck, it really just like triggered the nerd within Michelle. So good. Fucking excellent shit. I played Need for Speed 2. Hey, that was a fun one. Boom, boom. It was a good one. I didn't play Need for Speed 2. I played Need for Speed Hot Pursuit, which nice. was on the PS3. Need for one. Speed 2, the final level, was like this futuristic level. Mm. And everything was like lit up and it was like you're in space. And like you, it was such a good level. You yeah. would try really hard to get to it. It was quite smart. I had I had Burnout 3 Takedown. on yeah. the Because P- Need for Speed 2 was on PS2, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I had it on PC, so I'm not oh, sure. But whatever. probably was. Um, Burnout 3 was on PS2 and it was still maybe the best car game I've ever played. It's I think I played that with so you. fun. Or was it Burnout 4 that I played with you? No, we played uh, Burnout Paradise. Oh, yeah. Which was the first one since Burnout 3 to be like Burnout 3. Yeah. But then also open world. But... I love car, like I love driving games. And like when I had Mafia 2, which mm. was actually very story heavy, yeah. what I preferred to do was get the best possible car or rather hijack it and then go on a rampage for like three hours. That it's, was the way I played Mafia 2. That's and it really paid the, off. the way that most people play Grand Theft Auto style yeah. games. Yeah. Yeah. Except Mafia had like a good, decent story, I think. Yeah. From memory. Anyway, we're off topic. One extra, just one last burglar trap I wanted to talk about. Yeah. After the guy falls through like his wooden hell dimension. Never ending croc noises. Yeah. There's also a bit right where he sees like legs dangling. Oh, this must be when he's still at the top. Yeah. yeah, He sees legs dangling and he grabs them. And then it's, what is it? Like a fucking lawnmower or something, something very blade driven. So he, and heavy, he just gets into the house after his like debacle trying to get inside. He gets in first where they get electrocuted by the mains voltage. (laughs) They're both dead. (laughs) Yeah. But he makes inside. Alice has been hit in the head and she's passed out in a puddle. Yeah. The other two have been electrocuted and should also have been left for dead. This guy makes it in and he literally grabs, he sees legs hanging off the side and he thinks it's the kid, but it's a monkey, like yeah. a stuffed monkey. And he grabs the legs, he pulls it down and in doing so pulls a lawnmower yeah. that comes at him with like five blades. And all we see is his face looking straight at the blades of a lawnmower. And then we hear like, ah! But then he's fine. It just somehow manages to cut his head, but it's a full active lawnmower that is on. It's so heavy and it's going to land. Even if it just landed on his head and it was off. He's dead. My like he's a dead man. Lost an eye to a lawnmower, and, and not even in that circumstance. A rock just flicked out of it and took his whole eye out. I Those things to, are deadly. I used to think about that all the time. It's nuts. His glass eye was terrifying. He could always tap it for me, and I hated it. Mm. Well, yeah. I always joke to Brooke about popping my eyes out. I just stick my Why? finger near my eye. You know, like when you go like with your finger in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. I do that, but as if I'm doing it with my eye. And so I you're going to re- recite the entirety of lollipop, lollipop, oh, lolly, 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 lollipop, <laughs> and then you flick your eyeball out. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Let it dangle out of the socket. That is a joke going. I would do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you could, you would. Do you, wanna, you can't, so you shan't. Do you want to hear some trivia? Fuck yeah. Um, I got a lot of trivia for this. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like, this, 
We had been approaching a drought of trivia, and then we hit Home Alone 3. We went over these barren wastelands so we could find this oasis. Um, Culkin, director Chris Columbus, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, and Kieran Culkin all refused to do a third film. Yes. (laughs) Wait, was Kieran Culkin in the first two? Yeah, he plays his cousin or something. No way. I mean, it makes sense. I don't know sense. why I never noticed him being there because I love Kieran Culkin. Also, him in Succession. Oh, Succession is so good. I'm you so Succession. I'm oh. so glad that he's had this. Like it started with like Igby goes down or something, and then yeah. he was in Scott Pilgrim. He was in Signs as a kid. He was in Signs. It's pretty good. I it was as a kid. I'm talking about yeah, as a grown okay, up. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um. Yeah, he was excellent as Wallace. Yeah. At, at one point, his uh, at one point Home Alone three was going to be Kieran Culkin now, but then he said he couldn't live up to his brother. So right. he didn't do it. And I'd say now he's exceeded his they, brother, but we don't need to rank them. So they just refuse to watch it. Well, Kieran Culkin refused to do it for that reason. Macaulay said that since he was a teenager, he was bored of it. Yeah. Chris, Columba, Chris Columbus's excuse was he wanted to give it to another director. Um, he just didn't want to do it. And Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern said that they wanted other opportunities. All of them yeah. refused. That's smart. Also, Chris Columbus went on to do the first two Harry Potters. He was right. He was fine, yeah. <laughs> he didn't need this film. Um, this was, because of Chris Columbus refusing, the directorial debut of Roger Gosnell, who previously edited Home Alone and Home Alone 2. Right. Which means that there is a disturbing trend of editors turning into directors and being on this list, and I hope to be a triumphant third. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about editors turning to directors, and I was just like, oh, <laughs> Read the room. <laughs> Not the right audience. Hi. <laughs> Tim Curry, Christopher Lloyd, Alan Rickman, and Liam Neeson were considered for the role of Mr. Borpa. <laughs> oh, my God. And it went to unknown. <laughs> no, <laughs> Who the it, fuck was that guy? He was in Burn After Reading. What was his fucking name? Oleg Krupa. Oleg Krupa. He was in Burn After Reading. He was from the Russian embassy, and he was like, we, don't, we are not oh, interested in dribble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a Polish actor. Right. Um, similarly, for Alice, uh, both Courtney Cox and Sandra Oh were considered. Oh, my God. It says, this says considered. I think it makes more sense that all six of those people didn't want to do it. I think it was that they declined. <laughs> yeah. They were considered, and it didn't pan out. Um, I didn't. I didn't list them because there's too many. There is a larger amount of continuity errors listed for this film than any other film on the list so far. Oh, my God. (laughs) There's just an outrageous amount of continuity errors. I can imagine. Um, um, When Borpa corners Alex, he... Oh, boy. Sorry. When Borpa corners Alex, he speaks in Polish, and I won't repeat it because the Polish language is really difficult to just... (laughs) phonetically say out loud when i was 10 i wanted to be interesting so i pretended i could speak polish i had a friend called jethro and i straight up lied to him and said i could speak polish and then he would be like oh speak it and i would literally just say gibberish yeah and i kept that up for a good year wow it didn't impress him what he said means i'll crush you like a cockroach where's the disc which is a slip-up by the Polish actor Olek Krupa, speaking in Polish instead of English, as well as a factual error that they were looking for a chip, not a disc. Nice. Part of the reason I saved that was because it being listed as an error of him speaking in Polish leads me to believe that he was meant to be someone who was native English, but his Polish accent just slips through way harder. Right. Interesting. 
<laughs> yeah, because the rest of them are American, but he was obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> he was very Polish. Although she, the, the woman I thought for a second wasn't American. She confused me I think she's bit. just posh American. Right, okay. Um, uh, these last three, th- there were so many weird, I feel like this must have been a meme at some point because there were some really weird trivia pieces. I, I saved this one because I got some- <laughs> something wrong. Um, Haviland Morris, who played Alex who played Alex's mother in the film, is a natural redhead. Scarlett Johansson, who played her daughter in the film, is actually a brunette, but has left it coloured red for most of her film career once her teen years were over. Catherine O'Hara, played Macaulay Culkin's mother in Home Alone and Home Alone 2, also has red hair, a tribute to the first two films. Now, when I read that, I was like, what the fuck is this talking about? Catherine a tribute O'Hara to the first films well i was it's also like tribute. Catherine o'hara doesn't have red hair and she did in the scarlett film. johansson doesn't have colored red hair and scarlett then look- johansson's every she's usually blonde yeah at this point she's most often blonde it's just this this piece of trivia is nuts it's just crazy someone had too much time on their hands and was on imdb too often i love this one this was my favorite piece of trivia because of I just imagine writing it. Uh, the injuries to the four spies suffered in the film toward the end are related to the four elements. <laughs> Earth. Unger is electrocuted, which made his suit burn fire. Jernigan <laughs> sprayed with freezing hoses. Last water. <laughs> Alice is covered in dirt after several incidences in mud. Earth. And Borpa has black paint in his face, coming from a gas-powered spray can. And that's when the Fire Nation attacked. <laughs> what the fuck? And then a similar piece of trivia. Borpa is choleric, Alice is sanguine, Jernigan is melancholic, and Unga is phlegmatic. <laughs> you know, trivia. What the fuck? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Who wrote these? <laughs> This is just my favorite trivia to read through because it was just a series of everyone saying no and then people writing the absolute most wild bullshit. (laughs) Do you want to hear some reviews? I would love to hear some reviews. Okay, so I got one critic review Mm -hmm. that I think you're going to like. A rare positive review came from Chicago film critic Roger Ebert, who called (gasps) it the best of the Home Alone films and that it was far better than the first one. It was also the only Home Alone movie he liked since he gave the first two negative reviews. Gene Siskel nearly fell off his chair in disbelief at hearing this. What the fuck? (laughs) I've always trusted Roger Ebert. inherently what the fuck is he talking about what the fuck i will admit there's some things that this film does well i'm actually i actually don't think it's bad enough to be lower than the other films we've watched thus far Mm. i enjoyed some bits of this too much it didn't hurt me physically to watch it again sex and city 2 is a new bar and i didn't want to physically harm myself um whilst watching the film it had it had a couple of things right. The fact that they set up Alex as a character, even though he sucked as a character, they set up things about him kind of well. In that he's very resourceful. He makes little things for himself to like help around the house. Like he's it sh- it proves that he's like industrious and can manufacture things. Mm. And also like even though it only started halfway through the film where he's like, I have to protect my house. It did feel like a midpoint. It, it did. just felt like a bad midpoint. Yeah. Like you can tell that the people that had their hands on this had a sense and notion of structure and how to make a film. Yeah. However, <laughs> the audacity of this prick <laughs> to say this was better 
than the first two Home Alones. Not just better, the best of the Home Alones. Far better. (laughs) He's dead to me. Um, Now, here's two IMDb reviews. The first one, this movie was great by Ginger77227. (laughs) So many gingers. Wow. It was such a good movie. It was hilarious. Alex D. Linz was so cute and small and such a good actor. <laughs> He's so cute and small. Better than Machuli Who? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the adults didn't like it because they are boring to me and I'm 13. <laughs> so is Alex. Same, same. So is Alex. <laughs> Overall, it was just a great movie. Anything with Alex D. Linz is a good movie. I am just 13. <laughs> Adults are boring and I'm just 13. <laughs> Here's another one titled Home Alone 3 by Alex underscore Veroff 24. I liked this movie very much because it was funny and always kept you guessing who was going to get whacked over the head with something next. I really like it when movies do that to people. <laughs> I also liked it that this movie had a really good ending. The bad guys going to jail and the good guy, being this case Alex, getting what he thought he rightfully earned. Respect! (laughs) Respect is not given, it is earned. And I think this movie really helps you see what that is really all about. I think a lot more movies should be this way in the future. More laughs and less pain. Old-fashioned fun is what I'm all about. I think all people are like that at some point in their life. 10 out of 10. Go off. Respect is earned. <laughs> this movie's about respect. I like it when people get hit I'm in the glad head. Someone dug a theme out of this mess. Because this had no theme. This had no purpose. Completely themeless. At least with Home Alone, it had like the theme around like needing your family. And like it's mm. Kevin realizing that he isn't ready to grow up yet. He still needs his family around him. That's his that's his journey. That's his arc. Yeah. That's the way he changes. He's like, I want to be a big guy and I'm getting forgotten by my family. My family don't love me. I want to be an adult. I wish they would all go. Mm. And then he has that wish granted, but he spends the whole film realizing that he does need his family. He's not ready to grow up. Yeah, and, uh, and it's great. What's it the works. character's name? Kevin. Kevin. Yeah, yeah and then his Kevin McAllister. I think Kevin McAllister. Yeah. yeah, and then his mum in the airport is like, "Oh my god, we've lost Kevin." Kevin. Kevin. My little baby. Oh, my baby Kevin. Oh, I must fly home to Chicago to find Kevin. Go to Chicago to see Kevin. Baby, <laughs> will you come with me to Chicago? I think this movie, I think Home Alone 3 could have done with Moira Rose. <laughs> Any movie could do with Moira Rose and a little bit of Alexis. <laughs> <laughs> We've both expressed having problems with Shit's Creek, but the characters really are very in- fun to watch. My problems just lie with the resolution. The the sh- and and the first season took far too long to pick up. Even the second season, well, I actually think that that show is quite riddled with flaws. It's it, just that it it's is got, riddled with flaws. It's a great character exploration at its peak. It, it's also praised for diversity, but it's like Clinton style diversity. Like it's a white gay man that is cis. Well, it's, it's two white gay men, and that's the full extent of the representation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> both <laughs> both sexual and <laughs> ethnic. Yeah. Um. So what is your rating for this, for Home Alone 3? What's the rating on IMDb? Is it still 4.5? Uh, no, I think we're in the... I think it is 4.5. It's 4.5, yeah. Yeah. Look, honestly... Uh, uh, fuck. Oh, yeah? Ah, uh, it's 
<laughs> Fuck me up. <laughs> um, <laughs> thought you could get away with this one, did ya? <laughs> Not on my watch. I'm a gale. Um, honestly, I think I'd give it like a solid. I'm trying to like think of it on a scale. I remember last week I was so fed up with um taxi i was like zero yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck this <laughs> today i'm coming at this with reason practicality i enjoyed some bits of it didn't find it difficult to watch i, I think it did some things right in terms of the craft of screenwriting i reckon i will give it a solid four out of ten okay yeah um in a lot of ways i think you're being really generous this i movie think really it wasn't the worst thing i think this was a lot better than a lot of other things we've watched in, Far better. In, in my overall rating, this is definitely in the would watch on a bad movie night camp. Oh. I think it's the same amount of bad as Taxi, honestly. <laughs> because every... Maybe my emotions got in the way last week. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of this movie, <laughs> so much of it, someone will get hit and it really will be like coconuts together. Bunk. Boy, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. At one point, the guy, again, they're presented as international spies, and in the beginning, they're like, we are super cool and serious. And then they'll go, they'll, with their mouths, will go, wow, 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 ah, ah, ah. Like, it's, I hate this. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm going to give it the same rating of a four. Nice. It, it really does deserve a four. I think you're being generous. <laughs> I am being generous. <laughs> Which is a very sexy power move. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. It's, it's very sexy That's of me. It's very sexual of you to do. It is very sexy of me. Um, that was Home Alone 3. What are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching the 1996 film Striptease. Oh, with Demi Moore, right? Yeah, exactly. With, that's what I was going to say. How did you know that Demi Moore? You, have you seen It's got Demi Moore in it. Did you know that? I 1996 did. film Demi Moore. Oh, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, I know. Pretty into it. Well, I'm excited. And don't forget to follow us on social media if you can. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram under Rating Descending. Or you can find us personally. You can find me on Insta under Abigail J. Ward. And me as Michelle St. Clair. And don't forget to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a difference and you'll be a fucking legend if you do. Bye. Fuck off now. Fuck off. Go get your fucking chips in you. Get your... Yeah, no, I'll just cut this where you Jordy said. This is Shaw. Why yeah? Uh, why yeah? Why, why yeah? yeah? That's how we say goodbye now. Or to do a Captain Toad. Baby! Or to just do a Charlotte from Jordy Shaw. I love Gary. But it'll never work. Whoa! <laughs>